0: hello colleagues and friends olivier gerard here recording from ghana welcome to og's smaller world podcast i'm an international development professional i've been privileged to live and work in west africa for over a decade i enjoy conversations on peace personal transformation and social change with individuals whose mission it is to build a smaller world back in december 2022 i had the opportunity to reconnect with farouk dalhatu a leading figure in the media industry in northern Nigeria. Farouk and I talked about his efforts to set up and sustain Freedom Radio, one of the first independent and widely successful radio stations in northern Nigeria, his later efforts to counter the narrative of violent extremist group Boko Haram through Dandal Kora Radio and the state of the media industry in Nigeria today. For a variety of reasons, I'm publishing this episode only in March of 2023, shortly after the presidential election took place in Nigeria. If you enjoy this podcast, please connect with me on YouTube, LinkedIn, and Twitter. Without further ado, enjoy the show. Hi, Farouk. We're live recording. How are you? Fine. Thank you very much. How are you? Are you I'm good. 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 I'm good. Compliments of the season. Thank you very much. You're welcome. As I meant every time I hear this expression, I know I'm speaking with a Nigerian. <laughs> yes. I have. Farouk, I got to know you in 2018 as the managing director of Dandal Kora Radio in Maiduguri, Northeast Nigeria. Yes. When I, when I look back at my time in Nigeria and good moments I had, Kora quickly comes to my mind and the partnership we had in those years. I know there's much more to Farooq than Download Kora International, so I'm, I'm curious to know how you would introduce yourself to the world in a few minutes. Okay.
1: My name is, my name is Farooq Dalhatu and I'm a graduate of Ohio University in Athens, United States. And uh, that was way back in 20, I'm sorry, that was way back in 1984. And uh, I have worked as uh, in many organizations, some as salesman, some as administrator, some as a business development manager. And uh, we came, we came to the idea of setting up a radio station when my family was able to obtain a radio broadcasting license sometimes in 2000 and I was part of a three-month team that midwifed the radio station itself. We bought the equipment, we set it up, we employed the people, all the staff that were employed, I interviewed them and uh, the initial, we had three objectives provide a radio station because there was no Northern, no Northern Nigerian individual who had a radio station at that time. And uh, secondly, to provide a level playing field so that all members of the community, no matter how, how diverse the interests are, to make sure those interests are at least accommodated and uh, third, to provide a platform where more indigenous people could be trained to become journalists. And so we set out on this after the initial takeoff. I was appointed executive director of business development. This is to ensure that the radio itself is anchored in such a way that it would be a sustainable business because as of that time, History of media setups in northern Nigeria was replete with carcasses of failed efforts, mostly in the print media. And we were trying to avoid this failure so that the radio station would last. So we employed people we considered to be professionals, and we set up an additional board, that is editorial advisory board, Because all of us who set up the radio station itself, that's the Board of Directors, none of us had any considerable experience in journalism. So we needed another body that consisted of seasoned journalists and members of the community so that The content would be suitable to the community and they would also act as a watchdog on the management of the radio station. And uh, I was, of course, a member of the editorial board too, being an executive director, so we took off with that. It became a hit because the radio station itself became very, very successful, even up to Areas where the signals do not reach, but the name has reached, especially in Abuja. Since it was a premier effort, the government of that day did not like it because government then was not used to being criticized because all media was owned by government at that time. So the Kano state government didn't take it Nicely, because we give opposition a chance to come and say their minds within the straight confines of the NBC code, NBC means National Broadcasting Commission. They have some set of codes within which you can only broadcast. And we had a random battle with the state government, but also there were areas where we collaborated because. Before the advent of insurgency in Nigeria, Kano used to be a very volatile city where intolerance and even religious extremism was ripe and just a feeble excuse, uh, the city would go up in flames and be killings and so on. So. In collaboration with other stakeholders, that's the state government, the security service, for instance, U.S. Embassy, British High Commission, we always sat down to put together a dialogue where these kind of uh, mindsets were addressed and eventually changed. So there had not been any more killings in Kanu since the advent of Freedom Radio and Business 2003 to date, which is almost 20 years. This is one of the major successes of Freedom Radio. We are able to steer community away from intolerance and even extremism to a large extent that when Dandalkura was being conceived, I was actually invited by the U.S. embassy through creative associates to come and put my experience in setting up a radio in conflict zone. This is what actually qualified me to go to a In the meantime, since that 2003 to 2015, when I resigned, I had even become the managing director of. Freedom Radio and also we had worked so hard to keep it as a business, which was the major objective of me being there and because we had always paid salaries since the past two months, Freedom Radio had been on a sustainable footage. We grew that radio station from uh, one radio station to four radio stations across, across uh, Northern Nigeria.
0: I wanted to ask you about, about that success and your ability to sustain Freedom Radio over the years. What were some of the business decisions that you took that put Freedom Radio on the path to success and it, it still exists today, 20 years later?
1: Well, in our second month, we went
0: to Lagos
1: because that is where all the ads we are coming to radio stations and we visited the agencies we pitched because it coincided with their annual general meeting of advertising agencies association of nigeria and we went we bought a space and we hosted them to lunch that gave us a, gave us a chance to advertise ourselves and explain our mission and vision so that they would understand. And coincidentally, we yes. were even the only private media radio in, in Kano at that time. And that was an attraction for the advertisers.
0: And so you, you got the advantage of being the first, the first to market? Yes, but we were
1: also very good because you see one of the advertising agencies, this is just a, a digression. Olivia, one of the advertising executives came to Kano. He didn't know about us. At the airport, the public address system was hooked onto freedom radio. So he was asking the, he was going to go to the government radio station to place an ad for a new telephone company. And he asked the taxi driver when he got into the taxi. The taxi driver was also hooked on to Freedom Radio. He said, which, kind, which radio station is it? He said, oh, you don't know. You are really a, a visitor. This is Freedom Radio. It's our radio station. So he just said, take me there. Well, he, came. he met me. We discussed. And we took their campaign. We broke it. And they saw immediate results. Because he said, how will you convince me that you are good? Because you don't have any data. I said, let's go. We went three different markets, Olivia. Everybody, every market we went, every street in the market we went, they had their radio station on and it was Freedom Radio. So that is what did it for us. And when when we even introduced ourselves to the market people, they that we are from Freedom Radio, and this is our guest. They were giving him tomatoes, vegetables. They were giving him eggs and stuff like that. And that is what did it for us. And he is the one who advised us that, look, you have something very good. Come to Lagos. Incidentally, we are going to have our AGM in the next three weeks. Come to Lagos and advertise. It will be very good for you. You will benefit from that immensely. And I will go myself. I am a living witness. I will go and also help you. So we did. We went to Lagos. And since then, there was no looking back for Freedom Radio. At some point, when I was managing director, we were getting about 360 slots per day. That is six solid hours of advertisement. And we were only broadcasting for 19 hours. So you can see that people had even started complaining that there is too much advertisement on our radio. They want to listen to us, but we keep bringing in advertisements. So that is why even when we had a running battle with the state government, we were able to sustain ourselves because we had good revenue flow from the
0: advertisement markets. Farouk, before we move, move forward in time, I want us, I want to go back to this one moment again. You yes. mentioned you studied in the US when you graduated yes. and, and you were a businessman, you worked for several organizations. Yes. And over, over the course of several years, how was the transition from those other endeavors? You had mentioned to me previously, I think you worked in the engineering field. Yeah. How was the transition to working for a media organization? What, what did you encounter as challenges, things you didn't expect? Well, it wasn't easy and smooth, but I am, I have to
1: say that I am the kind of person who is driven passionately by what I believe. And this, this is one of the things, and I attended many, many courses. Some of them organized by Radio Doche, some of them organized by uh, even VOA, yes. Some of them were organized by the Nigerian Institute of Journalism. Since I was also the interface between the quality content that would sell, that would attract the community, I was the person who was receiving members of the community because the full schedule, broadcast schedule of Freedom Radio did not materialize for six months because we kept asking people who were visiting us and they came by the dozens in a day, dozens of groups, and I was there receiving them. And they were telling us what they want on a radio station. It's like some kind of a multi-focus group that we hold on a regular basis, heavily, every day. So we developed content that the people themselves asked for. Remember, we didn't even have competition. So it was easy for us because today there are over 20 radio stations in Canada. And all of them came because Freedom Radio succeeded. Because if Freedom Radio had failed, maybe people would be reluctant to come in and invest their money. But now there are over 20, but even with these 20, Freedom Radio still controls about 60% of the market of doing
0: advertisement revenue. You mentioned earlier the environment of uh, violence that was sporadically springing up in Kano, as you mentioned. Uh, phenomenon of religious extremism, and then we'll, we'll talk a bit more about that later when it comes to the Dalva in northeast Nigeria. But when Freedom Radio emerged, you just said you could have taken it in different directions. There were demands for different types of programming. What made the organization decide to focus on issues of peaceful coexistence and sensitization compared to perhaps more commercial interests, sports, or entertainment, for example? Well,
1: first, the motive behind setting up Freedom Radio was not a commercial decision. Because there wasn't even any business plan in setting up Freedom Radio. There was no template for us to copy from. And we just passionately put in our money until the radio station itself materialized. And this was really a lot of money, but our, our payoff was not expected in time. Our desire was to provide for our community, a platform that would give them up-to-date information, accurate information, and also project values and cultures and traditions to the larger world. In such, in such a way that the community would be the chief beneficiary of it. Because we were the first, we enlisted the support of all the clergy, the business community, the traditional rulership, and the common man on the street. Everybody loved freedom. And we used that as an opportunity to keep bringing diverse groups into the studios to discuss issues that are really community-based issues, ranging from our backwardness in education, ranging from the al system that's out-of-school children, ranging from why marriages fail quickly and easily, going to our political position inside the political space of Nigeria, and so on and so forth including religious extremism. Let me just digress as an example. There was in 2012, there was a fuel price increase in Kano and everybody came out against it. But it was the first time where demonstrations were sanitized because doctors put on their lab coats and came out Lawyers put on their wigs and gowns and came out. University lecturers put on their academic regalia and came out. And the nurses dressed as nurses and came out. And also, there was no burning of tires, but it was a procession. And it was also the first time, during prayers, the Christians cordoned off the muslims to enable them pray so that they may not be harmed and when it came on sunday the muslims paid a visit to the church so we sat down at management level and say this particular behavior is it it has to be reinforced and rewarded so we organized a seven-day program that brought in the clergy, both Muslim and Christians, into the studios. For the first time, we brought in the Muslim clergy and the Christian clergy to come and discuss issues of common interests and also to highlight where the divisions start. And we also brought in the trade unions and employers. We also brought in Professionals, we brought in the academia over this seven day programmed period. And it was a two hour discussion program. But when I approached my board of directors, they had fear that bringing the two religions into a studio may even start another religious crisis, which Nobody wants, of course. I had to put my job on the line to say that we will not let it happen. As a compromise, we recorded. Instead of putting it live on air, we recorded it. Most of them, people were praising us for even trying this effort to bring in uh, people of opposing views to dialogue with each other and these are the kind of quality programs that freedom radio was putting out there and that is what endeared it to the members of the immediate community and that is what attracted the attention of people outside the listener range of freedom radio because i have to tell you we were shut down for about i think 4 days and during that 4 days the U.S. Embassy put out a statement, you know, they don't live in kano but they have heard, they put out a statement that emasculation of uh, freedom of speech is not good for our nascent democracy, and they urged the government to go back. The British High Commission also put out similar statement. And also the clergy in kano in Unison, they, they put out statements, the academia, that's the Association of University Lecturers. They also put. So there was so much pressure on the government, they had to withdraw that suspension. They didn't close us down, they just said that we should not do any political program. We should close down at 5 p.m. And 5 p.m. is actually the time farmers are coming back from the farm, workers are closing from the office. Uh, businessmen are closing from their businesses and that's when the business, the evening listening business begins. And also it hurt our commercial interest because people have given us advertisement contracts and we were failing. But at any rate, public pressure forced the hands of the government to lift the restrictions on Freedom Radio. And to us, there was no better testimonial that we were doing well than to see this kind of public response when when we were going through those challenges. And of course, with that, we had a lot of assistance from the U.S. and the German embassy, and not financial assistance, but training, you know, because they were all high-quality training programs that, on our own, we could not afford it. And so we were able to keep pushing Freedom Radio and the freedom of the public.
0: While you were working at Freedom Radio in the early, I guess, 2010s, you've told me a few times in private your initial run-ins with the nascent Boko Haram insurgency. And so I was wondering if you could narrate to us again what, what were those initial encounters? Boko Haram appeared frontally in the
1: city of Kano, essentially in 2012, January 20th, when they came and had a two-hour operation that really put the security network in state on the run because it was like an ambush-style kind of attack. They, they were there, living inside the security system, and they just sprung a surprise on the entire security system in the city and about 50 different explosions in 50 different locations within a period of one to two hours. So after that, Boko Haram, our chagrin, they had really come into Kano and embedded themselves somewhat. And because of that, the security agencies became more alert and and proactive. That was when we started getting calls into our studios from people proclaiming to be Boko Haram. Then, one day, the spokesperson of Boko Haram called my number. That's Abu Aga was his name. He was the spokesperson. He said that uh, they have been monitoring our broadcasts. We are a good radio station. They see that we respect the religion of Islam. We We are also giving good community content, community-based content, but we are unfair to them. I said, how are we unfair to you? He said, well, we don't carry their news and we have to start being fair to them or they will come and deal with us. I said, "What what do we need to do to be fair to you? He said, well, I'm going to send you a press release and we want you to broadcast it. I said, well, if you say you will deal with me, of course I will broadcast it, but you will never, you will no longer have any freedom radio for yourself or for the community. Because we will, he said, why? I said, because we will be closed down. He said, why? I said, because we are licensed and on licenses have some regulations governing that license and we cannot broadcast your press release just like that as you have written it. We have to have editorial control over what goes on our airwaves. And the government said we should not broadcast you. So we cannot. If we do, we'll be licensed and we'll also likely go to jail. You said, who is the licensing agency? I said, NBC. It- Give me some names so that we'll go and deal with them. I said, well, I, I am not at liberty to do that, to give you the names of people so that you can go and deal with them. He said, okay, how, how are we going to find a good working relationship? I said, well, first, you are the one who is being unfair to yourself. We are not being unfair to you because even now that you are calling me, you have hidden your number So I cannot even see who is calling me. If I want to call you back, I cannot. If I want to reconfirm any information about you, I cannot. So I cannot even have the chance to balance what the government is putting out. Even now that you are calling me, how do I even know that you are truly from your own organization? Because it could just be that the security system is trying to test our efforts by calling us to say that they are are you or anybody for that matter can call to say they are you. We have no way of checking this. So if you want fairness, you have to start by coming forward with your number. He said, okay, drop. I dropped the line. He called me with a number which I recorded. And he said, this is my number. Whenever you need to contact me, you can contact me on this number. And I want you to connect me to the international media so that they will be taking information from us. I said, well, I can give you a number to the reporters, but you have to know that all editorial decisions on this international media is largely centralized. They decide who to interview, who to take information from. So if they don't take information from you, it will not be the fault of the reporters. They will report, but it depends on the editor to determine whether they will take your information. or not. And he called me a few times after that, but it was not so menacing a call anymore because I gave his number to the international media and they they actually contacted him. He called me to confirm that. So this was our run-in with Boko Haram, and they had my number, I think, a year or so later. That particular person was reportedly killed in one of
0: their clashes with the Nigerian security your involvement on this issue of the, the Boko Haram insurgency increased a notch in 2014, 2015 when the idea of creating Kura came about. And to be honest, I don't think I have the full story of how it came about. And you alluded about being, I guess, being asked to come and and support this effort. But can you tell us a bit more about how it all came together? Okay. Wait. Kura uh, came about after
1: the abduction of the Chibok young ladies uh, in 2014, that is one singular activity that really attracted the attention of the outside world to this crisis fully. And when ma- many stakeholders got to northeastern Nigeria, they discovered that all the radio stations in the northeast were not actually meeting their mandate. They were not reaching everywhere. And Boko Haram had taken over several local governments at that time. And the initial idea, as conceived by USAID, through creative, was to set up a studio, produce content, and get the radio stations across the Northeast to air those contents so that there would be reach-out to communities that have been marooned in the Boko Haram enclave, so that it would reassure the community that the government is doing, somebody is doing something about their flights. But when they discovered that all the radio stations, for instance in Borna the radio station was transmitting on less than a kilowatt, And, you know, with one kilowatt, you cannot reach far, really. And because Borno state is bigger than southeastern Nigeria zone. And it's so big because some villages are are over 200 kilometers away from the capital that is largely at the center of the state. So Boko Haram forced the creation. The establishment of Dandam Radio, it, it grew from a studio to a full shortwave radio station that could reach anywhere across the Lake Chad Basin region. Actually, we got a testimonial from a ham radio operator in Japan that he has picked the signals. You know, shortwave signals can go very, very far. But our signal that time, it covered all of Africa. But our focus was the lecture-based region, because we were broadcasting only in Kanuri and Hausa languages. So even if you pick us up in South Africa, unless you understand Hausa or Kanuri, you'll make sense of what we are talking about.
0: But we... I wanted, to, I wanted to, to dwell here for one minute on the language. Yes. You mentioned Hausa, but also Kanuri. Yes. For the observer from outside Nigeria, we tend to think of Northern Nigeria as dominated by one group, the Hausa Fulani. Sometimes they're seen as two separate groups, sometimes as, as one group politically or religiously. But the Kanuri in Northeast Nigeria are the dominant group. Do you want to talk a bit about the, the significance of Dandal in terms of having a media in Kanuri language that reaches regionally beyond even the Lake Chad basin?
1: Yes. Well, you have said that Kanuri is one of the dominant languages in the northeastern uh, Nigeria. Uh, also, Fulani was the dominant language, but almost everybody speaks Hausa. Why Kanuri is because Boko Haram is essentially Kanuri. And they had brainwashed their followers and supporters and their captives that Everything non kanuri is alien and therefore must be resisted. So, for us to get across and into their minds, we had to use their language. That is how we were able to penetrate and break some of the uh, barriers created through propaganda by the Boko Haram themselves to the communities and also the communities marooned by Boko Haram so that we will explain government position and also debunk some of the lies that they have been telling. So that is the the reason why Kanuri was also chosen. And Hausa was added because almost everybody in Northeast can speak Hausa. About 95, 90 or more percent of the people understand Hausa, and uh, even in Borno State, it's not everybody that understands Kanuri, and there are about forty other languages in Borno State, you know. And, uh, but all of them speak Hausa, but we used Kanuri and Hausa so that we will get into the minds of the adherents of Boko Haram and also the people who are kept
0: captive by Boko Haram. I knew I could count on you to rectify my ignorance and make sure that all, all minority groups were represented in our conversation about Northeast Nigeria. Yeah. Looking at, again, Donald Kura and setting up this station, their station received a lot of foreign assistance. Yes. And we like, we like to reflect critically on what worked well, what didn't work so well. What are your thoughts looking back? Because this has been almost seven, eight years now that the station has been set up. What are your thoughts on the way you interacted with the donors, the the assistants? Was it appropriate? What could have been done differently?
1: Well, I think from our end, we have assembled uh, a highly effective team of good journalists that are able to come up with excellent and impactful content regularly Severally, all the time. And on the side of the donors, we found them willing and really focused and interested in really helping to achieve peace through the use of radio media. Because when we were set up, we were set up with three objectives. First, to back the narratives of Boko Haram, to create positive narratives and also to come up with radio content that would help the beleaguered communities to climb out of the situations occasioned by the insurgency itself. And we did this effectively. That within two years, in March 2017, Shekau, the then leader of Boko Haram, went on his, one of his video productions, 17th of March precisely, and he condemned Dendalpura and he denigrated us and our staff and threatened to deal with us. That was, of course, scary on If one is living in Borno State and Siakaw said so about your organization and your staff, we were scared, but we were also resolved. And it turned out to be the best validation for our work, because it meant that all our efforts were reaching up to the top echelons of Boko Haram leadership, and they don't like us. So we could not have presented to our donors and stakeholders a better validation than that video from Shekau Quandelion's and saying that we have sold out the foreigners and so on.
0: Unbeknownst to him, Chicago became your third-party monitoring yes. mechanism. <laughs> and
1: also, a few days later, uh, VOA was able to go up to, into the enclave of Boko Haram, and they were listening to radio, and they, they were asked, which, which programs you listen to? They said, Dandalkura, it's on video. So it means that Dandelkura was an effective tool. And also the kind of support we got from the USAID, DFID, through Creative. They bought us 10,000 transistor radio stations, radio sets, to distribute across the Northeast. So that with, the, with a sticker stating the time and the frequency of our broadcast because it's shortwave. We, our broadcast was increased from two hours a day to six hours a day. And we kept coming up with good programs that attracted the attention of even the security agencies. They allowed us to go into the camp of Boko Haram detainees to interview them. And we, of course, used that as a program date to uh, incite defections in the ranks of Boko Haram uh, and their
0: followers, And we believe it was effective, too. We're, we're recording this program on Christmas Eve 2022, so that 2022 is practically over. Yes. and But the, the Boko Haram insurgency continues. Yes. And it's what are your thoughts on the trajectory? It seems that in the years that where we described these events, 2015, 2017, there, were, there was some hope that we were going to see the end of this conflict. What are your thoughts on where we stand today? Well, I believe like all
1: conflicts at some point it will end uh, somehow, but uh, Boko Haram is still there even though definitely not as menacing as it used to be, because now people can have started going back to their localities from the IDP camps. Also, people can easily fly the routes, especially Kano Damaturu, I mean Kano Meduguri Road, the end from Damaturu to Meduguri axis, where Boko Haram was always crossing from Alagarma Forest to Sanbisa Forest, and they wait and take advantage of hapless passengers, abduct them, kill them, and so on. That has ceased. For more than six months, I have not heard of that. So it's a sign that Boko Haram is on the, on the back foot, definitely. And now all information that we get is that the troops... The federal government troops are scoring one success or the other. Last year, it used to be the story of federal troops have been ambushed today, ambushed tomorrow, from here to there, but now they are really on the front foot, to be honest with you. And also there is, we believe, fatigue from Boko Haram itself, because their ranks have been depleted so much. If you notice the defections from the middle of 2021 to date, you will be shocked because it's uh, intense of problems and it has even overwhelmed the capacity of the security is to process them properly as planned because they, the number is so high. And so I believe Boko Haram is on the decline. But it's, we are not completely out of the woods. Perhaps if the efforts are sustained, they, they may be able to achieve something. But you see, something happened towards the end of last year. The rise in banditry across northeast and north-central Nigeria dist- the attention, the effort, and the resources of the international aid agencies, and they shifted their attentions from Northeast. So it means that the available basket of help had to be split amongst these zones. And also, uh, sometimes, I think in February this year, the Ukrainian war, Started and that really stopped resources from all other regions in the world and diverted them to Ukraine, to the Ukrainian war effort. Even though the government had taken delivery of its armaments and ammunitions and many platforms to fight Boko Haram, which are now much more effective than it used to be. But the resources to help in this fight has been completely uh, removed from the region. And if you see even the international aid agencies, they have either scaled down their operations drastically or they
0: had completely left the region. Farouk, if I, if I count correctly, you mentioned the start of Freedom Radio in 2003. So this has been 20 years that you've been working full-time yeah. in the media industry as one of its leaders and now senior figure. What's the state of the media industry in Nigeria today? How does it compare to what it was 20 years ago? You mentioned the growth in the number of stations in Kano. Yeah. What, what else is going on on the national scene in terms of media? Let me start with the positives, Olivia. I think the media
1: has grown uh, in leaps and bounds, both in terms of operational capacity, in terms of availability of manpower, the availability of new technology for the platforms, and so on, and also the disposition of governments to grow into accepting private media as a necessary, I would not say evil, but as a necessary check on their activities. Because when when Kura started, I mean, when Freedom Radio started, it was uh, very difficult for the government to accept and accommodate that opposition should be given a chance to speak on radio stations. But now. Opposition has a chance to speak on radio stations, even though the NBC quotes are being sharpened and refined on a regular basis, but it has not stopped people from doing its work. Secondly, many, many more people have been trained to become journalism and journalists on the platform of Freedom Radio especially because we will take green horns, put them through courses, teach them, mentor them, and they will become journalists. If I tell you now, today, all the BBC correspondents in Kanu, and VOA, and Deutsche Welle, they are all staff of Freedom Radio. It shows you about the quality of thing that we have given to these young people, and both male and female, because in freedom radio i think there are more young ladies working than also than young men and also freedom radio tweaked its programs to allow these young people to go back to school and increase their knowledge there are local university in in, in kano bayero university kano and they have helped and we have also been a training platform for them they will send their university students to come and uh, intern with Freedom Radio. So that is the positive. But don't forget, the government is still there with the big stick, always. From 2020, Corona came in, and uh, the country itself, or let me say the world itself, was shut down for a number of months. The economy was down. And for us in Maiduguri, you know we were operating in an old-time economy. So this had taken the oxygen out of the lives of many radio stations. Only government radio stations who don't depend on commercial revenue for buying diesel, who don't depend on commercial revenue for payment of their wages and stuff like that. So the private media industry was set back really 10,000 miles by Corona and also the attendant economic downturn. And especially in Meduburi where we operate Dandakura, our case was made worse because in 2021, January Boko Haram knocked down the transmission tower and there has not been light in my since that time. We in Dandakura, we had not seen that light. Actually, it was a timely intervention from the USAID creative association that saved us today because they helped us with a solar system that gave us about six hours a day which we also used our own resources to make it to 12 hours a day. Now we are completely off grid. But during that transition, we had to be buying diesel. Now the diesel itself, if not for that intervention, it would have been impossible for us to run the radio station on generators. Because when we started, a litre of diesel was 285 Naira. Now it's over 1,000 Naira per litre. And there, there is no commercial revenue. So how would we be able to run a radio station on diesel? So We have solar now. We run for about 11, 12 hours a day. But I pity the private radio stations all over the countries that are running on, on diesel. Because they are really sweating it out, trying to manage between energy. So, energy is a major issue in the broadcast media
0: industry. For those that are not familiar, I think Nigeria has one of the most uh, unreliable electricity grids in the region. Looking at, so in, in. On February 25th, 2023, in two months exactly, yes. 93.5 million Nigerians will be called upon to vote for their next president. Yes. And there'll, there'll be a lot of state-level elections as well. Yes. What, what is capturing the attention of Nigerians in this upcoming election? What are, what are people talking about? Well, really two things,
1: especially. Uh, and these common denominators are the economy, and security. Because practically all over Nigeria, there are only very few states that do not have uh, security challenges. You can see why our security agencies are really overworked and overstretched. And also the economic downturn, you know, so. Obvious that you can read it from the value of our currency. It has gone down in manifolds. So these are the two major issues. You know, prices of food, which is also economy-related, and so on. So these are the major issues on the minds of voters. It's not even the religion that used to be. Now Nigerian doesn't have the luxury of dwelling on religious differences when they are going to cast their votes. I believe these two major issues. And as you can see, if you re- go through the Nigerian media, print media, you will oh. see even the candidates themselves, they are focusing on how to what they will do to revamp the economy and also to get a security system. Nobody talks about anything else, really.
0: Nigeria is already the Africa's most populous country, over 200 million people. I was reading today, by 2050, it will be the world's third largest country in terms of population, just behind China and India. It's the Africa's largest oil producer. It's the largest economy. The world cannot ignore Nigeria, but I, I feel that Nigeria is not well known by most people outside who haven't had the chance to come and, and live and work and visit. What do you want people to take away? What do you want people to know about Nigeria? I think the foreigners looking in tend to have a very pessimistic view. I was always amazed by the energy of the people there and their willingness to make things happen. What do you want want people to know about your country as we're concluding this discussion?
1: Well, I want people to know that Nigeria is a very big, diverse, and interesting country with a lot of potentials, a lot. We are endowed with human and the material resources. If you look at major Western countries, Nigeria is increasingly becoming a big percentage of its workforce, professional workforce, not lawful, professional workforce. Top grade doctors, top grade engineers are all working in the Western countries because precarious economic conditions and working conditions and corruption has Necessitated them to go out and realize their full potentials elsewhere. Also, in terms of uh, material resources, we have minerals. We have. We are harnessing those, but our biggest drawback is corruption. Once we are able to find a leader that would assiduously address corruption, all other things will fall into place. Mark you, Nigeria is. has huge potential for tourism because we have several and diverse interesting places for tourists, but they are held back by security considerations and that is hurting our economy. So we are optimistic that come this next round of elections, when we are To choose a leader that will address corruption, that when, that's when, you will be able to make a bet on how fast Nigeria is going to grow. But we are the biggest market in Africa with 200 million people, you know. And once this market is synchronized with adequate power supply.
0: I believe Nigeria would work places. I believe so as well. Thank you so much, Farouk, for your time. It's been over an hour. And on your Saturday afternoon, I'm very grateful for the time you took to speak with me. And thank you once again, and we'll continue to be in touch. You are
1: welcome, Olivia. And I thank you very much for considering my humble effort, worthy of your time, too.
0: This concludes our episode of OG's Smaller World Podcast. Thank you for listening. I'm grateful and I hope you benefited in one way or another from this conversation. If you enjoyed my discussion with Farooq Dalhatu and want to find out more about some of the topics we discussed, follow me on YouTube, LinkedIn, and Twitter. The links should be in the podcast episode description. Before you move on with your day, please click like, subscribe, and follow this podcast on your favorite platform final word of wisdom. Don't forget to be grateful for what you have in your life. Cultivating gratitude is the most direct path to happiness. Olivier here, signing out.